0: And we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we get to spend with you in your word together. A little break from the world just to sit alone with you or with each other, but kind of alone with you and let you speak to our hearts, teach us and encourage us, and whatever you have for us, we'll take. In Jesus' name, amen. The. It's no coincidence that chapter 19 follows 18 or the subject matter. I want to start off there. Uh, Matthew, being a tax collector and being a man, a human, writing down, has a train of thought when he's doing this. Every one of the Gospels is a little bit different, obviously. Um, They all jive together, they all mesh together well, but they each have a different thought process because the person writing has a train of thought. And so as we finished up last week with forgiveness and dealing with the sinning brother and who's the greatest and so on, Matthew, in his mind, is being remembering how he was taught. All this was new to these guys. They're sitting at Jesus' feet, following him around for three and a half years, learning for the first time, in a lot of ways, what, what the right way is to worship God. They've been around the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes for their whole lives and grew up with a very skewed view of what it was to worship God. So they sat and learned, and that's what most of the ministry was. A lot of hands-on, but a lot of fire talks, you know, around the fire and explanations. And so Matthew, as he writes this, he's writing the most impactful things to him. As I was walking with Jesus, these are the stories I remember. In John chapter 21, verse 25, the... The gospel writer John says, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So John acknowledges his train of thought. And that there are many, many stories that are not shared. So that being said, that explains why Matthew, immediately after forgiveness and how many times should I forgive and how often should I forgive, Jesus taking them all to a whole new level of not just seven times, but 490 times, 70 times seven, and of course, and and more so, and then says, it's just like how my Father forgives you. is just how I want you to forgive others. Those things go together as we move into marriage and divorce. Now, this is an uncomfortable topic for some people, but um, before, I, I don't want to go into that too much. Uh, we're all broken. We all come here to receive grace and mercy from God. We, we all know we need Jesus. We all are starting here. This is where we start, you know. Can't do anything about there. We, we, can, we start here. And so, as we go through this... Um, It's always uncomfortable when the Bible brings up things maybe we've gone through that we wish we hadn't. But that doesn't mean we can't talk about them and shouldn't still teach them because there's a whole other generation coming up that needs to learn, that needs to learn like Matthew did and Mark and Luke and John and all the guys that sat around the fire. They all need to learn what the right way to do it is because maybe we haven't been the greatest example as parents in a lot of ways. But I don't think any of us ever claimed that we were, you know? We've all fallen short. We all make mistakes. And so although this is a tough subject for some people, it's, it's, it's hard for everybody in the room, not just you, if you've gone through it. Because God has called us to a whole other level other than just being a husband or a wife. <laughs> He's called us to be gracious and merciful and loving and forgiving to whoever's in our life. And just because we're married to that person doesn't mean that excludes them from that wonderful mission we have as Christians to be light and salt, to be gracious, merciful, loving, and forgiving. Just because we're married doesn't mean we don't treat them any worse than we would a stranger on the street who needs our help. You know, I think one of the most powerful things I've ever read is when he's talking about a husband and a wife that he asks us to be kind Why would he have to tell us to be kind? Because we forget just to simply be kind to each other, you know, to our spouses. And so I wanted to start off with all of that. Um, And although Matthew has a train of thought, there are 66 books in the Bible. There are 40 different authors, but there is one mind and one heart in the whole book. And that's the mind of our Father. And he writes by the prompting and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through these men. And shares his heart. So, when Matthew moves from forgiveness to marriage and divorce in the family, his train of thought is inspired by the Holy Spirit for us to connect those two. We really need to connect those two. They're not separate things. I think sometimes the chapter and the verse... um, sometimes we lose the continuity of the book because it wasn't originally written that way. They're letters, just simply letters. Matthew just wrote a whole bunch of paragraphs and a bunch of columns, you know, but the numbers aren't originally there. And so you lose that continuity when you just read to the end of 18 and you stop. But if you read it like a letter, like you would a normal letter, you'd read all the way through it and you can get the whole mind of the author then you understand the heart. So I know it's a long jump into this, but... We do have to make that connection. This is the Lord speaking through Matthew and how Matthew learned, and we should make this connection too. Now it came to pass, verse 1, I'm finally into it. When Jesus had finished these sayings, that's our connector right there. Matthew says, right after he said those things, he said this. So that brings it together for us. That he departed from Galilee and came to the region of uh, Judea, uh, beyond the Jordan, And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. So that's the ministry that's taking place. That's what God wants to do. He's healing people. He's ministering to people. And then verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him. The word also there tells us that that's a second thing that's taking place. They're not a part of it. They're not into it. They're not interested in it. They're interested in catching Jesus and removing him from his position. They've had these people under their control for a long time. And this guy comes in and starts talking about love and stuff, you know, which is not what they taught. So they came to him, testing him. So keep that in mind. That is Jesus's attitude towards this. Here comes this beautiful moment with all these people. And he's got the Pharisees that could care less about the people interrupting. Okay. So he's upset. And uh, they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Two schools of thought at the time. One school of thought was that you could divorce for adultery only. And the other school of thought is that you could, for any reason, if you found any uncleanness in your wife, then you could divorce her. Those are the two schools of thought. So these guys say, can we go with a more liberal school of thought, that more broad brush? Or if we just find some uncleanness in our wife, we can get rid of her. Notice the focus. Can we as men divorce those women for any reason? Now, that is not how the law is written. The law set, tends to sometimes have a, a masculine tone to it a lot of times, but women could get rid of their husbands too, right? But that's not their concern. Much like the woman caught in adultery, where's the guy? They didn't bring him. Jesus is guilty. He gets the rocks just as much as she was supposed to get the rocks. But there he is off running, probably with a rock in his hand. They're so hypocritical. But she's there, brought before him. That's how they think. That's their operation. Jesus is the great liberator. So they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Well, you can see Jesus' feathers get ruffled, and they should. Now, remember what Jesus is all about. Grace, mercy, love, forgiveness. And they're asking, how can we legally split up a marriage? Despite your backgrounds, despite what we have in our minds, his answer is very, very important for us to grasp because he takes us a step further into the mind and the heart of the Father as opposed to the world, okay? The world always looks for loopholes, how can I sin? How can I get away with what I want to do and still be legal and okay? How can I get absolution? You know, how can I I'll let this, you know, slide? Is there anything I can do by, you know, pay for? What can I do here? Can we get rid of her for any reason? And he said, have you not read? And that's always a cut down to these guys because that's all they did was read. Haven't you read? That he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Whoa. You would think these Pharisees, as oftentimes as they've given Jesus A and B, <laughs> they would pick it up by now that he always chooses C. Always. Can we get rid of it for this reason or that? I don't think you should get rid of her at all. Wait a minute. What? Not even for adultery? So their answer was, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? You're against Moses now, Jesus. That was the whole plan. That was the whole call. Corner him. Now, if this isn't political, I don't know what it is. We see this happen all the time in today's day. Let's separate the leader. Let's separate his base from him. That's what they do in politics. we got to separate the base, get the base no longer following the leader. Remove the base, we've got him. We can take him down. He has just put every man, every man in the crowd has now looked at Jesus, because that's all they're talking about is, can, can we divorce our wives? And this is going to separate his base from him. Because he's going to tell them, hey, he just said you can't divorce your wives. What do you think about that? This guy you're following says you can't divorce your wives. you even for adultery. What do you think of that? All right, now come back to the fold. Come back to us Pharisees and Sadducees, you know. Why then did Moses give a certificate of divorce and put her away? And he said, I bet it was just like this, fast. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Those guys always go to the extreme, don't they? Well, then we should just steer clear of it all together. Yeah, that, that's, that's the answer, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's supposed to help this poor person or not. Better, not. better not do anything with them then. Or, you know, no. Don't avoid it. But that's what they do. It's a heavy thing, what he just said. He says, God joined these two together. What makes you guys think that you could? Well, Moses said we could. Well, it wasn't like that from the beginning. Moses only did that because he knew you wouldn't be able to forgive her. Because he knew you wouldn't wouldn't be able to let it go. Now, that's a hard thing. And, And he even follows up with, if there is sexual immorality, then you can. But that's it. But even that was reluctant. You can see that in it. God's goal is I, I want you to forgive. That was what we just read. That was that's why Matthew is bringing this together. We just read. I want you. Verse thirty-five, verse chapter eighteen. So my heavenly Father also will do to to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. He's tying the two together. He. Jesus is not flinching. He's not moving. He's saying the only reason you can do this because he knows you're so hard hearted that you can't forgive. But I would rather you would is the implication. I wish you would. I wish you'd forgive. How many things have I done to the Lord or against the Lord or separated myself from God? How many how, many often, how often have I separated myself from God through sins and, and, and he's willing to forgive me for them? No matter what. I mean, there isn't a sin on the face of the earth that he can't forgive, that he won't forgive. And he wants me to be his child and he wants me to be like him. Now, we're not. I know that. And we're faulted. And we never reach the ideal. He's talking about the ideal. He wants us to be like Christ And we're reminded constantly that we're not. Every day, the the way we walk, we know that. Now, he doesn't want us to beat ourselves up all day long, but he definitely wants us to strive for that. He wants us to aim for that. Be holy, for I'm holy. He's always said that to us. Now, you won't be holy, but boy, I mean, try to be consistent and loving and gracious and merciful and forgiving, like I am to you. I led by example. I showed you what it looked like. Here it is all laid out for you. Go for it, tiger. You know? Swing for the fence. And so when these guys come up and interrupt this beautiful moment with all these people and says, Hey, by the way, can we divorce our wives? They're not tuned in. They don't know what's happening. They're not paying attention. And so he shuts them down Hard. And he has to shut these guys down hard in front of all these people because all these people are toggling in their minds because it's a struggle for them to follow after Jesus. They know it's rebellion against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They know it's not normal that they're ostracized, that they're put out of the synagogues. They know all that's happening to them. And so when these guys bring up a pretty valid point, because we've learned this from our youth, that you can divorce for this reason or that reason, and Jesus totally shuts them down on that, He's got to shut them down hard, and he has to do it with Scripture, and he has to do it with wisdom, with love, grace, mercy, consistent with everything he's ever taught, and he does. It's beautiful. When it comes to marriage, we have, I think, uh, subconsciously changed, and and I've hit on this just a little bit tonight, uh, that the person, the human being that we're with, is somehow... um, Outside of all the other laws, you know, for example, we have in our culture, uh, women get beat all the time. They just do in their homes. I mean, I hope not, but I know what happens. I know it's, it's sickening to think about all the abuse that takes place in the home. And when she comes forward and she tells somebody about it, oftentimes there's this hesitation. Well, your, oh, your husband did. Well, what was the situation? Who cares what the situation was? If you were at Casey's and some stranger came up to you at the gas station and popped your wife, would you hesitate and say, no, what was the situation really about? No, you go get the guy. You threw him in prison. We think just because there's marriage that there's some sort of, wait a minute, there's some, well, he can hit her a little bit. No, it's assault. That doesn't matter whether it's covered anywhere else, it's covered under a whole separate group of laws that says you can't assault and batter anybody in this world. Anybody, including your kids, including your wife or your husband, depending on how big you are. You know, you might be able to take him. It happens. You can't hit people like that. You can't beat them up. There is no excuse for it. There is never an okay time for that. I have to throw that out there because somehow or another when it comes to our wives or with our husbands and uh, we're so really to deep, get, dig deep down inside to forgive that person that wronged us in high school and all that, but when it comes to the spouse, that one we're going to hold on to for a little bit longer or at least keep a tally in our back pocket For when the big guns come out, I can bring out that list and say, yeah, well, you did this, 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 and this, and we've never forgiven them. We've just been keeping track quietly in our minds, you know? No, we need to dig down deep inside to forgive them, just like we forgive anybody in our lives. Just because they're married to us and close to us doesn't exempt them from that obligation that we have from Christ. We have to do that. Jesus is revolutionary when he talks like this to them, and it's Wonderful. It's wonderful. Forgiveness brings so much freedom. It brings so much life back to you once you can actually forgive somebody. You know, we, we hit on that just a little bit, opening those prison doors that we've kept people in in our lives, people we haven't forgiven and that we've kept. And every time we see them or think about them, we, the hair stands up on the back of their neck. we got to open those doors and let them out and forgive them, you know? And I tell you, you start doing this in your marriage, this marriage, and I say that because some of you aren't second, third, I don't know how many marriages you've had, this marriage right here, right now, tonight, wherever you are right now, start doing this. Let them out. Forgive them. Encourage them. Support them, you know, help them any way you can. So he shuts them down hard, and I'm, I'm glad that he does. I mean... This gotcha question, well, it didn't get him. And it's not what they expected. And nobody was expecting this answer. But it's, it's so, everybody reads it, everybody goes, that's right. We all know it's right. So it's hard, but everybody knows it's right. We hear that answer, we, every time we hear Jesus' red letters and we see, or we see him answer them, we go, that's, wow, that was really perfect. That's because perfect wisdom from above, Always. It's the right thing to do. So he moves on to celibacy because his guys had just said, well, then we probably shouldn't marry, right? (laughs) No, that's not what I said at all. Well, it serves a lot of headaches, you know. Uh, Paul says it's better to marry than to burn with lust. You know, if you're going to burn with lust, you best get married because it's no good to be burning with lust. Get married then. Yeah, but what about all the problems that come along with it? Well, It's better to marry if you can. But there is a celibacy. And so Jesus goes on to say, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. And here it is. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He was able to accept it. Let him accept it. Some people can do it. Some people can't. And don't pretend that you can if you know that you can't, is the idea. Paul, uh, we assume he was widowed, we think. We knew that he was a part of the Sanhedrin, so he had to be married. Um, And some speculate that, well, once he came to the faith, that his wife would have then grounds to divorce him for leaving, being apostate from Judaism and following Christ. But that's a stretch, and we'll see that here in a minute. Because he says, "I wish you were all like me," and he describes himself as he compares himself to the widows. Okay, so that's what we think. Anyway, he hasn't. He doesn't have that desire to marry. He's been of the latter here uh, by God, been able to abstain. Okay. Um, but he has to run this through. Look, guys, you, you, that's fine if you don't want to get married, but make sure that you don't have all that lust that goes along with it and that you battle and that you lose that battle and that you're off doing things you shouldn't be doing with prostitutes or online or whatever it is. Don't, don't pretend that you're celibate if you're not. And if you're not, then go get married. It's okay, but do it right. You know, Be, be right in God's eyes. Um, some can and some can't. And so he just says, that's a hard saying, so he's just going to leave it there. And I guess I better leave it there too. We'll stop there. Verse 13. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. And I remember just last week, how did he say, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you got to become like one of these. And he set the little boy in his lap and brought the child in his presence. Right here. You got to see this. This is the goal. Humble, beautiful, innocent, just like this. Okay. So, the little children are being brought up to pray, and the disciples, who obviously weren't paying attention to chapter 18, and Matthew knows this because he's one of the guys, they rebuked these ladies for bringing their kids. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Remember chapter 18? You know, they all should have figured it out. (laughs) you got to be like a little kid. Okay, but keep little kids from you? Is that what you want? Yeah, that's what I was saying, you know. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Kids are important to Jesus. So important. Every little kid is. And every one of us, of course. Of course. We're no exception, but I liked your shirt that you had on. There are no, there, there are no lesser people. What, is this, what does it say in your shirt today that you had there are no lesser people, you know. That includes kids, you know. There are no lesser people, everybody. And these guys just, well, they're kids, you know. And sometimes we can brush kids off like that. And we shouldn't. So he said, no, bring them. I want them to come to me. I, that's, I'm trying to get you to come to me. I definitely want them to come to me, you know. Um, and so he, he starts laying hands with them. He, he taught them a, a big thing that day, you know, a little bit of compassion for these kids. You need to have compassion for these kids. Have a heart for them. Kids have it hard. It's hard to be a little kid. I don't know if, I know that we as adults have a lot of hard things going on in our lives. We got a lot of hard things happening to us. Kids don't understand what kind of day we've had, but you got to put yourself in their shoes. They've been waiting all day for you to come home. And to play or to interact, or I hope dad comes home or mom comes home with joy, with a smile, or whatever. They're just, da- and, then, and their whole day is dashed when you walk in the door and, and don't bring that to them that they've been waiting on. It's everything to them, you know? And guilty. I, you know, it's, it's hard. I preach to myself it's hard to not get out of the car and bring that through the door, whatever day you've had. But at least have compassion on them and, and recognize that about yourselves. You know, they need... They need dad. They need mom. They need joy. They need eye contact. You know, they need playtime and, and joy. Anyway, I've said that enough. Anyway, Jesus wants us to have compassion for kids. Okay, so they move on from there. The fat Pharisees are licking their wounds and the little kids are blessed and the disciples are still trying to figure things out. And here comes this rich guy. Now behold, one came... And said to him, good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he's going to talk about to Jesus, how do I get to live forever with God? And so he says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but, the, but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, that's a very big statement he just made. He just claimed to be God come in the flesh. It may not have read that way. But he's either doing two things. Why are you calling me good? Because I'm not. That's not what he's saying. You're calling me good. That means since there's only one that's good, that's God. Then I am, right? I am the great I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end and and so on. He's done that several times to people that have asked him. When anybody came and worshiped him, he didn't stop them from worshiping him. He received the worship. They said before, Abraham was, I am. And they wanted to kill him for saying that. He was claiming to be God. And here he is again doing it. Why do you call me good? It's a question for you. Because what I'm about to ask you, Mr. Richman, or tell you, if you think that I'm God come in the flesh, and you believe that and understand that, why do you call me good? You must think that I'm the one. Then you're going to receive what I say, right? And he doesn't. And that's a decision all of us have to make if Jesus is God come in the flesh, not just a teacher like every other teacher in the world, if he did rise from the dead and the only one that rose from the dead above all other teachers in the world, and he is God come in the flesh, then we best believe what he said. If we don't believe that about him, then there is no truth. Um, It's all speculative. It's all open to discussion. Um, And just so funny, that very statement, there is no truth. Well, is that true? It's self-defeating. Um, So he brings him to that place where, okay, you called me good, right? That means you acknowledge who I am. So I want you to keep your commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Well, all of them, I mean, but okay. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, he's going, yeah, yeah, me, 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 me. All these things I've kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Now, right there, we've got a pride issue. (laughs) You know, what shall I do? I've done all of those, you know. the, the, The cape is flapping in the wind here. And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, which is what it takes to get to heaven, go sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Hmm. It wouldn't be so bad if he didn't, you know, I guess. If you live in a cardboard box and Jesus was his meal ticket with five loaves and two fish, always producing enough food for everybody in the crowd, well, what do I have to lose, you know? Well, he just said, I want you to lose everything. I want you to deny yourself. I want you to get rid of all of it. And I want you to come follow me. The poor need it more than you do. Now, come follow me. I'll take care of it with five loaves and two fish. And he couldn't. He couldn't do it. I've met generous, rich people. I've met generous, poor people. I've met stingy, rich people, and I've met stingy, poor people. It doesn't make any difference how much you have. It's a heart issue. It's always a heart issue. And if you get to that place or people get to that place in their heart that think, if I just had a little bit more, then I'll start being generous, you got a problem. It's a heart issue. If you can't be generous with what God's given you now, wherever you are, then when you get older and you have more or whatever it is, and you acquire more, it's, it's going to be even harder. If you think it's hard to tie the dollar off your $10 that you have, imagine what it's like to tie the $100,000 off of your million that you made. Can you imagine writing that check? Imagine writing a $100,000 check off that million that you made? That's a hard check to write. If you had, couldn't do the dollar, you're not going to be able to do that. You know, It's a heart. It isn't about... How much possessions. God never needs our money. He never needs any of it. He wants that to come from our heart. Several scriptures over and over again. Second Corinthians 9, 7. So we let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. I want it to come from a happy heart because I've given, you know. It should always come that way. Exodus 35, 5. Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever's of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Exodus thirty-five, twenty-one. then everyone who came, whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all its service and for the holy garments. For, uh, First Chronicles twenty-nine, seventeen. 17, I, I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure and uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I've seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to, to you. It's always been Old Testament, New Testament's always been the same answer. I want you to do it because you want to, not because you're supposed to, or because you have to, or because you think someone's watching. I always want you to be generous. And so this man who's given the opportunity, you want eternal life? Well, that seems pretty important. I mean, if you're going to save up for something, a boat, a car, a house, I would think eternal life would be at the top of the list. You make a buy this, you know. He just told him, here's what you do to be perfect. You got everything else down. All you need to do is get rid of your stuff. I'd be, take it. Eternal life in the bag, you know. He walked away. Stuff was way more important than eternal life was. It was more important for him to have this conversation in front of everybody than it was for him to actually have the answer that he needed. Then Jesus said to his disciples, He walked away by this point. Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Hard, hard, hard. Jesus was, you can almost hear him sorrowful by his, oh man, stuff gets in the way all the time between me and my people. Stuff always gets in the way. Possessions always get in the way. It's so hard for them. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And I've heard people write so many essays on this. And, they, well, the, the eye of the needle is actually a gate. And I don't mean to make fun of them, but I'm going to make fun of them. Because what difference does it make? Well, it's actually the gate. And it's in, the camels would have to get on their knees and go through. And it's really hard for them to get through. But they could get through if they just got low enough. You know, it's like a limbo thing. okay. What difference does it make if it's an actual eye of a needle? What difference does it make? Well, because that's impossible. Well, that's kind of what the disciples said. The disciples heard it. They were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? They didn't say, okay, so it's really, really hard, like guys going through a small gate. They heard what he said about the camel going through an eye of a needle. and They immediately came to the conclusion that it's impossible for rich mercy to get into heaven. And Jesus is basically saying it is it doesn't stop there, it is for anybody. Nobody can get to heaven without him. Nobody's going to gain entrance to heaven because of who they are, what they've done, or how much they've given, or how well they've kept the commandments. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, every one of us. Of course, we strive to be holy for he is holy, but he has to say that to us because we're not. So what do you do with that not part of me? I need Jesus. It's his righteousness imputed to me. I have to have that given to me. I cannot get there by myself. You know, he says with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That's the right answer. That was the right question. Who then can be saved? Nobody. It's exactly what, that's the exact conclusion I wanted you to come to. And then now I want you to know that you need me. That's what the law was for. The law was a tutor to bring people to Christ. The law was never meant to be kept. You're supposed to try, but... Long before the law was written, Abraham had a relationship with God apart from the law. Abraham was counted as a friend and, and, and close to God, closer than almost anybody in the Bible before Moses and the law and the nation of Israel and all of that. There was this relationship back there that was and they knew. They knew. Abraham was accounted righteous because he believed God. It was just he trusted the Lord and what he said he knew. That's what he's saying. the, the, The law was brought in saying, these guys think they're getting to heaven without any help from me. Here's the law. And that's where we get all the animal sacrifices. That's where we get the temple. We get all these things instituted so they can begin to feel that process. Know you've sinned. You cannot go on with your life until you take your sins. You pass them on to the animal and the innocent animal that's never done anything wrong goes to the slaughter and gets killed. And you should feel the way you feel when you see that happen. Shame! It's horrible. I can't believe this. Why do I do the things I do? I have to keep killing little, little Bobby the Lamb or little Freddy the, the Goat or whatever. I've gotta, I've, they've got to die because of my rebellion. Stop being rebellious. Exactly. It's all, every single animal in the whole system was all designed to point to Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And our sins were passed on to Christ. And then he was crucified. Oh, You know. And that should be just such an eye-opener to us. Why am I so rebellious against God? Why do I keep sinning against the Lord? It cost him everything, you know? Yes, it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered, poor Peter, and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you, therefore what shall we have? <laughs> Peter, you had some nets and some boats, and you weren't very good at it, which we're going to discover later on. <laughs> so you didn't leave all that, you know. Even your dad was like, "I'd be all right. Go ahead and follow him. I get some guys that can fish, you know." These guys are out all night and they can't fish. He says, "Cast on the other side. Oh, there they are. You know? They're on the other side of the boat. Not very good at it." But Peter says, "Hey, we've given everything away. What are we going to get?" Assuredly, I say to you," Jesus is very gracious with his answer. That in the regeneration, or the new birth, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. It was a warning to Peter. Peter, you're not thinking about this right. They would argue constantly, "Who's the greatest?" In fact, they're going to do it in chapter twenty next week. Who's the greatest? What were you guys talking about back there? You heard us? No, I'm God. I just I listen to everything. I'm always there. You know. And he tries to explain to them, "You've got to be the least." And so he warns him, yeah, you're going to get tenfold, a hundredfold. You're going to get blessed beyond measure. You're going to have eternal life for following after me. It's amazing. But be careful that you don't start getting that pecking order or that, 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 that rank, you know. I'm Sergeant Major J.D. Dirks in the kingdom of heaven, you know, kind of thing. Don't start putting yourself there because then you're going to be the least, you know. Be the least now. Don't be looking at this guy who's walking away with all that stuff, thinking you're better than him. It was what Peter's saying. We left everything. That guy didn't. You know, look at him walk away with all this stuff. We have nothing. We're better than him. When we do that, I'm a little better than him spiritually. No, 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 no. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Uh, It takes a lifetime to figure out and to get and to master. Um, But well worth it. Well worth the time to take that time and to figure out your pride, to figure out what would keep you from eternal life, what would keep you from following him completely. What strings do we have? What attachments, what roots do we have that keep us from actually going and doing whatever God called us to do at any time? Can you uproot and go? Or would it be really, really hard for him to call you, to ask you, to give you that direction? Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We're excited for the regeneration. We're excited for what we read in Revelation 21, five. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You will make everything new. You will sit on the throne. And we'll get to serve alongside of you because you're a servant. Help us to get that in our hearts, to know what that looks like, to be a servant. To not be bound to the things of this world, to not be attracted to the shiny things around us, but to have our eyes fixed on you, very attentive, and very very attentive to the people around us as well, to see their needs, to try to meet them the best we can, to be a blessing to them, and um, that we'd see them, that we'd see people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the night.